Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, WCC. Ours, yeah, WCC. I am in a pickle this morning. We had so much happen uh, the last 24 hours. And I'm excited to be in the passage we're at today. I prepared a special sermon for mothers. This is called Mother's Day, Leviticus chapter 3. <laughs> if you're visiting... Um, Welcome. My, my habit usually is to go um, book by book, chapter by chapter. And at times, the elders here, we will break, a, break away for um, holidays for sure. I think that's good to do. That's outside of my comfort zone. And today we're in my comfort zone, Leviticus chapter 3. <laughs> so, um, it's the third book in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, I'm about to open up to that. Children, if you do have crayons, pencils, again, I want to encourage you to draw. Uh, Nothing would bless me more than to have some of your drawings on my refrigerator or when we visit you to see some of the drawings that you translate into your mind as you hear this on your refrigerator. And yes, I know some of it might be graphic. Um, Some of it might not be. Hopefully you're in Leviticus chapter 3 by now. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of offerings, if he is going to offer out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offerings, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it male or female without defect. If he is going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar." From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord its fat, the entire fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the trails, entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys." Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, 
Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on its head and slay it before the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From it he shall present his offering as an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove from the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. It is a a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. This is the word of the Lord. So I know that this is a really hard passage. Let's be real about this. Uh, This is something that is difficult and requires uh, a lot to consider. As as we approach this book, we've mentioned time and time again that this is really far removed from how we engage and encounter God. We do so through Christ. We don't wear fancy robes, at least not at this church. Uh, We don't bring livestock with us to church to offer as sacrifice. Uh, We come to God much differently. But the book of Leviticus points to Christ. The law is one that tutored us on how to be justified by faith in Christ alone. So Leviticus is very important. There are so many passages that are enriched by believers that have an understanding of Leviticus. I'm hoping that my time in Leviticus helps enhance Jeff's time in Hebrews and even Greg's time in Galatians as Paul talks a lot about the law and how we are justified by faith, how we interact with the law. So there's been some warnings. When I first came to this book, it was there's a warning that we might come to this and think we need to inherit some of these ceremonies, some of these practices, and, and become more Jewish in nature in order to be holy or in another great sect of Christianity that's higher than another. And I don't think the Lord would have us do that. And I think that if we come to this book as a congregation, instead of zealous on our own, we can find some better applications here. I would hate for us to walk away wanting to isolate ourselves from others who who love Jesus because of their diet, because of what they wear in regards to linen or other Sabbath practices they might want to keep. What we have seen thus far in this book is, is offerings. The first five chapters are going to be dealing with offerings. So Leviticus 1, we saw the burnt offering. That's when a bull, an oxen, or something small like a goat, or even a bird would be brought to the tabernacle, and it would be fully consumed that animal functioned as an atonement for the sins of that what was offering this animal. It provided a substitute. Yahweh had delivered Israel out of Egypt. He's going to be bringing them to a promised land. They are going to be citizens under the Lord of Lords. And there's some things these citizens have to do in order to be in the presence of God. I was watching a little YouTube video, like a three or four minute little clip, summary of Leviticus. 
it's, it'd be great for the youth. I might forward it to uh, Topher. It would add relevance to when I preach. Uh, and it mentioned the sun is a good thing. The sun in the sky gives us light, gives us vitamin, keeps us grounded and centered. But the sun is also very dangerous. It's good, yet it's dangerous. Um, if you are very white-skinned, you need suntan lotion. There's certain things you can't keep out in the sun. Or if you're in high altitudes, it can be disastrous to your environment. But it is good. Leviticus is one of those things that shows us God is good, but he's also dangerous. That does not mean God is bad. That just means you need to go before God rightly. He is safe, yet he is dangerous. So the first sacrifice that Israel learns is the burnt offering. You need a substitute. You will bring an animal without defect. And it will represent you. You will place your sins on that beast as you lean on it, as you press on it. You will slice its throat. Its blood will spill out. And it will be consumed. And you will take its innocence, in a sense. In chapter 2, we come across the grain offering. It's also known as the thanksgiving offering. And this is when Israel is able to return to the Lord what he has provided for them. So they take a portion of their grain, and they could do this by, by baking it, by putting, roasting it over the fire, or grounding it into a fine flour. And they would present this. And this is a way of thanking the Lord. Thank you for atoning for our sins. Thank you for allowing us to dwell in your kingdom and in your presence. This is acknowledging that we live and we eat bread because you have fed us. Though we labor and, and we work, you have provided. And so we want to give back. And that, that also is a big step of faith saying, we know you're going to do it again. And we know that we ultimately look to you for our daily needs. Today we come to the peace offering. What's unique about this one is several things, but this animal is shared. And we won't see that particularly in this chapter in um, I believe in chapter 7 we'll see more interactions. But whenever you see the peace offering in the Old Testament, it's presented as a meal. This is when the people have fellowship with God. This is when they live in covenant with Yahweh. In the Old Testament, the closest relationship you would have with someone is family. You'd have the family line, and, and that was the utmost importance, to keep that name, to keep those traditions, to grow strong. People had long lineages. They knew where they came from, and, and depending on who your father was, you knew what your future was going to be. You knew where your land was most likely going to be stationed. Name meant everything. The second closest relationship were those you were in covenant with. So when we think about law, law doesn't sound very mushy-gushy and, and, and friendly. Law sounds very cold and harsh, kind of scary, foreign. It makes me nervous. Law makes me nervous. But you would go into covenant with individuals that you want to trust. 
You want to exchange your goods for their goods. You're hoping for their well-being and they're hoping for yours. And what we find in this peace offering is some of this taking place. Now there is a lot of things that are repetitive in this. So I'm not going to go verse by verse in this section, which is hard for me. I like to do it that way. But how many times do we want to hear about the liver and the kidneys? So, so we're not going to be doing verse by verse all the way through. But the majority of these overlap of what's done. We hear about the herd and the bull, or the ox. That's what the herd is, in verses 1 through 5. Just like we saw with the whole burnt offering, if you are well off, if you are financially stable and doing good, you offer a sacrifice that shows that. Now, maybe economically, you can't afford a bull or an ox. In the burnt offering, you would offer then a sheep or a goat. And for those that had very little money, they would offer a bird. We don't see that a bird is applicable here. It doesn't apply because this is going to be um, a meal that is shared. The peace offering is a meal that is shared. And you can't really share a pigeon with a mother, father, and seven children, and a priest really well. A pigeon doesn't go that far. So in this offering, the bird is not allowed. What we do find is that there are a lot of similarities in this peace offering. And first, we see that there is a pressing on the animal. Again, this is one saying, this animal, you're before a priest, you're at the altar of God, you're saying, this animal, it is innocent. I have brought it here, and I am placing my guilt, my shame, my sin, my choices on this animal. I'm doing it. So the offerer is the one that does it. We've commented before, it's a very tangible way for you to say, I'm guilty before you. I I confess, I need a substitute Can we not find Jesus there? Beloved, that's the good news of the gospel. It's not that you were really good and innocent, but just devoid of the knowledge. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't, I was an innocent five-year-old. I learned the message. I said a prayer, and I remained in my innocence. And you might have a very young salvation story. I don't remember mine. I, I never remember a day in my life not believing the Bible's real, God loves me, and Jesus died for my sins. And and that's the prayer for our youth here. But I was never innocent. And that might sound offensive to you. I'm sorry if it does, but it's true. We have never spent an innocent day before God. And we have never reached perfection. We're in need of a substitute. So we lean on Jesus. He's a crutch. Amen. He is a crutch because you cannot make it. So they lean on this animal. And then they slay it. Not only do they slay it, they they take the blood and they splash it around the altar. 
Blood represented life. Life is in that blood. And before God, it sees here is life being offered up unto you. It has been presented, receive, forgive, visit your people. We do find something um, different in that it is male or female is presented here. This is the first time an offering can, can include also a female. And we'll get to that in a little bit later. But that's something to note. And then we come to um, some portions, some details. In verse 3 and 4, and in, in its complementary parts, we hear of kidneys, of liver, uh, of innards. So what in the world is going on there? And why is that in our Bible? And why is it repeated so often? It's not just to gross you out. And as I thought about that, medically speaking, Israel did not know what all these things did. The ancient world didn't know how to dissect an animal and say, this I know is what the liver does. This I know is what what the kidneys do. And all the other stuff inside there. They didn't know how to make sense of it, but they knew it was there. They weren't strangers to it. But medically speaking, they, they did not know how all of this functioned and worked we're now at the age of technology where we know what kidneys do we know what livers do at least those of us that took biology so why is this mentioned well in ancient times the innards communicated the emotions of someone if you go throughout the psalms and you you take like a hebrew interlinear thing that translates word for word to where it sounds really wooden and it's hard to understand uh, you'll see David talk about his kidneys talk about his stomach um, talk about his his gut they believe this is where emotions came from so they would open up this animal and in this peace offering they would bring their emotions their essence unto the Lord their very being, their thoughts, their intents, they present to God. Again, that this is what we bring in salvation. We, we don't give Jesus our, our calendar for Sunday. We don't give him our 10-ish percent um, out of our, our budget. We give him our very soul. We give him our emotions. We give him our affections. We give him our allegiance. He is our everything. So they open up this animal and they share the emotions before God. And they also share the fat. So what we know about the fat is it's the best part of the animal. It, 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 it's the prime choice of the beast. It, it, it tastes the best. And not only that, fat can be used for cooking and for other things within the home. It, so it had high value to it. And these are people that did not have bologna sandwiches every day or prime rib once a week. They, they had to limit their meat intake. So they're, they're giving something that's very costly for them. There's a, there's a family in our church that just got some cattle. Some big animals. It's really cool. And that's costly. 
And I'm excited how they're going to use it. I can't wait to learn some of the ways they're going to use those animals. Um, I don't think all of us are up for that. <laughs> I'm not. I toy around with the idea of maybe being invited during the slaughter. Um, but, but the cleanup, the feeding, if it gets sick, the price tag, I'm not interested at all in purchasing one. Um, that's overwhelming. So, Israel's in the same boat. Not everyone can afford to eat all the time. And, and the little they have, the little they have for some, they share. And they offer up the choicest to God. They're not stingy. Giving to God to them is not an afterthought. And, and God places, places this in his law because he knows he is prone to be our afterthought. And we are prone to not only ask for the best seat at the table, but to receive the greatest dessert portion, kiddos, or the greatest slab of meat, gentlemen. So God asks, demands, that he gets the best. I might be going a little fast today. That's okay. It's Mother's Day. We're going to go to the stipulation in 17, okay? Chapter 3, 17 says, It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall not, you shall not eat of any fat or any blood. Now, I'd like for us to go to Leviticus 17 real quick. There is more detail to why they are not to digest or eat blood. God instructs through Moses and says, And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens or sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from amongst his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have, sorry, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sins. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore, I say to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may eat any alien who, nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. What God is saying in this restriction for them is life is in the blood. And if life is in the blood, you're not to consume something that does not belong to you. All life is created by God. All life is a gift of God. And to consume it is to take on the role of God Almighty. So that's one of the reasons why. It also functions as a substitute. God is the one who forgives sins. God is the one to receive sacrifice. And we dare not take his place. Now there's all, we also know about dietary concerns in our age. But primarily this is a theological argument that's presented that why we do not take the blood. 
Now, what I, what I really love about going through Leviticus is we have some people that read this in isolation, and then they can create some rules out of this. Like, what about eating sushi or eating steak that is medium rare? I love both of those things. I can eat my weight in sushi. And uh, I prefer, I hate steaks that are well done. I just do. The way in which Moses talks about, say, fat organs or the blood here is different from our understanding. When a butcher kills an animal, you know, it, it slays it. And then it's hung. I'm not nerdy enough to go into the science of butchering. That just is not my fancy. Okay? But I know it stays there a while until the majority of the blood runs out. And I, and I know... I know Jewish friends, I have Muslim friends, and, and they don't translate this type of kosher approach the way some of us would as Christians that are overly zealous and, and kind of in our little bubble. Um, I don't believe the Bible permits you from having sushi. Thanks be to God for some of you. Some of you, that's a chore. I think that it's okay to have meat that is, that is medium rare. I think what's happening here is in the worship before Yahweh, don't step on my toes. This blood is not to be viewed as something that brings flavor and elegance to your stomach. This blood communicates you need washing. You need a covering for your sin. So so don't play with this. Don't flirt with it. Now, I I want to think about what does all of this mean? I've described how they've cut up an animal with not a lot of detail, but I think enough for today. What in the world does this mean? What do we do with Leviticus chapter 3? Because for me, it still feels foreign. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul writes, Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. And what we see in this passage is... Usually, families seeking atonement. They come to the priest at the tabernacle, and they need their sin to be taken care of. And then afterwards, in the peace offering, we find fellowship with God. We are in covenant with Yahweh, with our Lord, and now we are to sit and dine with Him. So here's where some Mother's Day application can loosely come together okay many of you will have a meal with loved ones today some of you will be blessed to do it with your mothers some of you will do so remembering your mothers and i hope those meals are sweet memories from the past memories of where you are going you know the little things within your family that irritate you and that excite you and those jokes you can always get away with. Those pieces of furniture that are so comfortable as soon as you sit on it and smell the fabric, it takes you back 10, 15, 40 years. On that table is going to be something that maybe mom only knows how to make and it's possibly someone else made it for her on the behalf and it's going to stink today. But you enjoy these traditions together. You enjoy this fellowship together. And there is an intimacy at the table that is not experienced anywhere else. 
on this earth. My parents are weird in a good way. So we're going to have Mexican today. They've wanted to have enchiladas before for Thanksgiving. Amber and I think that's bizarre, but it's mom and dad. And we're going to enjoy it. And we're, they're going to have those inside jokes. And it's going to feel so good to be with siblings, to be with nieces and nephews and see cousins play. And have that closeness. Beloved, this is the peace offering. The prime choice is given to Yahweh. But the priests and the offerers also get to take a portion It is by the grace of God through Christ, we now share a meal together. Think about all the heroes in your life you would like to have five minutes with. Think about all the people in power you wish you could just borrow their ear for a moment. Travel past them and behold your God. He says to this people that once a slave people, let us fellowship together. So they place this peace offering on top of the burnt offering, that one of atonement. And they enjoy fellowship with him. God is so accommodating. God is, God is so good and so loving. This, this beast, I said, doesn't have to be male or female. We don't know why. It's made me think of when we are taught there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, male nor female, that are apart from Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's there's no excuse for you, believer, to seek communion with God through Jesus. This peace offering is, is a bit overwhelming for me from some of the different themes and theology that I can trace through it. I want to just mention some of the thoughts I had. It might not come very clear today, and I apologize if that's the case. One meditation was God took he who knew no sin in our place to be sin so that we may have fellowship with God. A life was offered in our place so that we may dwell with the Lord. These offerings point to this. Soon there will be a day where the priest does not have to wake up slaughter a bull, sprinkle its blood, but we'll be able to pray with the spirit within him, thanking God for our salvation, for an offering that is completely pure and that covers all sins for those that believe. We're about to take part in a meal today at the Lord's table. And I believe this also points to Christ. Now, if you don't 
want to see it, you're not going to see it. But, but if you see it, you see it. This offering, I believe, portrays the need of a family and how covenant with God includes family practice. This meal that we're about to partake in is for the church. It's not for your home. It's not for my home. It's for the body of Christ. And when God instructs Israel how they are to approach him, it's as a family. And I, spelling it out a little bit further, I, I think that means that, yes, you have your own individual faith. Y- you have to receive Christ. But also there's, there's a communal aspect to this. To be in right standing and practice good fellowship means that you're in the fellowship of the saints. Do you have to be a Christian to go to church? No, no. You, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You're just not healthy. Th- think about your table today. Is there anyone who's going to be missing? Why are they missing? Is it, is it death? Is it estrangement? Both of those aren't healthy. Someone who's not there today, they're still a part of your family. It might be that they've passed. It might be that things just aren't sweet at the moment. They're still family. So if you don't want to hear it, you won't hear it. And this is, I really, we don't want to step hard on this for for church attendance, but, but, but we want to say this for the welfare of you and for the enhancement of you enjoying God. Enjoy the communion of the saints, the fellowship of one another. I've been overwhelmed by their generosity and gifts this week myself. And I want to beg for you to enjoy it as well. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank that you I thank you that you have provided for us peace. True peace. And that you invite us to come to you and to fellowship with you. Father, I pray that the homes that are here would honor mothers, that they would enjoy them and, and bless them and love them, that they would share how much they mean to them. And I pray that that would be great practice on how they approach you. We thank you for mothers. Have they give of themselves? Have they noticed things about us and encourage us? How they can keep a confidence? We pray that the mothers in this church would be a picture of you. And as we honor mothers, may we also be intentional in honoring you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.